0: And we are on Let's Go. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Dennis Keller, the Chief Business Officer at Siam Seaplane. Dennis, thank you so much for coming back to the show again. This time, we're going to do the most important part of the podcast and actually record the sound. How are you doing, by the way?
1: I'm fine. It's uh, it's great to be here again. Thank you, Michael. Very much looking forward to the session
0: yeah you know when we recorded this second time with you I actually said it's been a while since you've been on the episodes but actually that's not true since we did this a few weeks ago and I, and I mocked up this down but anyway let's uh let's do this what I really want to find out right is because I think we had you on about a year and a half ago and I'm just thinking like I'm not sure if it was in the middle of COVID just after COVID started I honestly can't remember the exact date but I remember thinking back then like What's going to happen to this business? Like, how hard is it going to be to keep this thing going? And I want to catch up with Dennis just to make sure that everything's okay because I think this is super necessary and super important. I want to find out from you what's been happening in the interim and what's new.
1: Many things happened. Obviously, it's been very challenging. I mean, the COVID period, so many businesses went bankrupt or really struggled, particularly obviously in the in the hospitality space. And right? it's been, especially in Thailand, even more so, right? Where what I think almost a third of the GDP is actually based on tourism. So it's been it's been certainly a, a kind of challenging time, you know, to be developing a service that sits at the intersection of aviation and hospitality the two most affected industries in COVID. But that said, we also saw that I think over the last year and a half, things opened up more, right? And and kind of um, COVID more and more disappeared in a way, or it became safer again with vaccines and so on. Um, To us, you know, it meant we worked a lot on the regulatory uh collaboration so um you know we we had to go through a quite laborious process with so many different authorities in developing the service because it was or it is basically still you know brand new for the country and so kind of you know going through these regulatory processes with you know not just one authority or two authorities but actually 10 12 authorities depends a little bit on each of the localities but right. you know really working with them that's been one of the major efforts that we've been doing and of course with covid that was on the one hand difficult you know even things like meeting in person and making sure there is availabilities at the same time i think what covid has shown for us and many others that we are dealing with is this is a great opportunity, right? And so I think there's a couple of things that happened during COVID, which, number one, a lot of the behavior around traveling changed from people, right? So, for for instance, private jet travel surged during COVID because people are looking for privacy, people are looking for um you know, not traveling with the masses as much as, of course, people's budgets allow. And private right. jet is certainly still a very niche uh, activity. But that showed us that a service that, you know, we are working on, which is essentially akin to a private jet service, but at a much more accessible price, that that is, you know, hugely in demand. And that also, was, I think, quite obvious to a lot of the regulators in seeing that this is, you know, from that perspective, but also, of course, generally from the perspective of, uh, as a seaplane service, reaching a lot of the waterfront destinations much more directly and easily and faster, um, that, you know, we have a huge opportunity here. So, in a way, things were very slow, but in another way, we've received A tremendous amount of support during that period which meant we could keep going we could actually keep hiring people into the company which is you know something i think we're very lucky that we're able to do that during this tough period and that we have also investors behind us that you know are very understanding in a way of you know things take more time but at the end of the day it's all worth it Um, and this culminated in you know just a few months ago we had our very first aircraft delivered here in Thailand. And that's super exciting. It's a big milestone. At the same time, I say it's a small step because there is so much more to come. You know, it's just one plane of many, many more that we're looking to bring into the country. But at the same time, of course, this is now what makes it much more real. You know, it's a real plane in the country. People can see it. You know, we have been starting to... With our partners to look at you know demo flights and start the marketing and pre-sale for, for the first um ground to ground and, and sightseeing flights now. So it's it's you know finally after three years, well, basically the, the entire COVID period. Right. Right. We are finally at the stage where we say, you know, this is this is happening and this is very, very exciting. It also opened up, and I'm just gonna give a hint for now, it opened up interests from not just thailand and so we have governments we have private individuals we have you know other resorts and potential partners in neighboring countries that all of a sudden say you know we need this we definitely need this you know this is this is something that can really change tourism that can change transportation and accessibility in some cases even many other use cases right that we, we talk about local local development and medical evacuations and, you know, things that aren't maybe um, the most obvious when you think about seaplane service because you usually think, you know, Maldives and amazing luxury, you know, tourism, but there's so much more behind it. And, you know, we're now working on actually a couple of other markets to bring the service to not just Thailand, but other countries. And so it's actually, if anything, now for us, it's an insanely busy period of developing
0: this. I want to ask you about this mindset change inside the company, right? You're struggling and building any company from scratch. We know this, right? It is hard regardless of what the market environment is. COVID particularly in the, in the hospitality business makes things even that much harder. And because it's mildly unregulated, you know, you have to get a whole group of people on board and they have all these other things to deal with like during COVID where, you know, getting a a seaplane business going for them may not be their first priority. But in the midst of all this, you do still have employees, you do still have you and your co-founders, and you do have the investors, and you have to manage all of them as well. What is it like when the plane finally arrives? I think this really matters in country. And it's no longer like we think we can do this thing, but now we have the thing to do it. Do you know what I mean? And I know this from my own business. You can talk about the thing you're working on forever, and yet it doesn't feel real until it's actually out there. But once it is out there, not only can you point at it and say, see, we said this was going to happen, but internally, there's this extra energy surge inside the company. Is that a fair characterization?
1: A hundred percent. It's a huge motivation booster, even You know, we obviously purchased the plane prior to it arriving in Thailand, right? There's a whole process in terms of, you know, getting the plane and and so on. You know, even though obviously there was months ahead of bringing this aircraft to Thailand where we already had the asset. You know, some of us were lucky enough to see it um, from where we purchased it from and, you know, to do inspections and to, um, you know, do a test flight and all these things. But it still wasn't here, you know, it still wasn't in Thailand. Right. And so even just that, I think, made a psychological difference in that once it was here, it was a definite booster internally, again, because it's now you can touch it, you can see it, right? Yeah. And, and also for, I think, for some of our staff that maybe aren't as immediately involved in the operational side of things, you know, dealing with the aircraft or dealing with, well, what's at the core of our business, but perhaps being in some of the more support functions, which are equally important, but far more removed from kind of the day-to-day of of seeing the, the service ultimately. And so for them to also be able to see that, to be able to, for many of us in the company, to do first test flights and get a feel for what that's like to be at the end of the day in our very own aircraft and get that started. So for sure, I think that gave us a a tremendous boost to know this is happening and this is, you know, this is great. And equally, I think externally, it was very similar and perhaps not so much for the wider public because we didn't immediately start marketing this, right? Because more important for us is we have the aircraft here. We need to still go through a local registration process and, uh, you know, the authorities need to check the aircraft and, it's not quite as simple as, say, um, you know having a parcel delivered and you open it and done, right. you can use it, right? right?
0: It's not like getting a blender.
1: It's not like getting a blender, right? So for our partners, meaning a lot of the hotel resorts, they obviously were aware of that and we made them aware of that. And I think that also pushed a bit the, I don't want to say, seriousness of, of, of the partnerships but perhaps again the the way they see that this is progressing and progressing yeah. very concretely and it's making it a lot more exciting so you know even just in the last few weeks we had two major announcements of partnerships you know that in the back we've always I mean we've had developed for quite some time but now more and more is the time that you will see a lot of our partnerships being announced in the media and, you know, like hotel groups and um, different uh, resorts proudly presenting that they're working with us. And before it was always us doing that, but now it's them doing it. And I think that, that puts us at a, at a very different level. So yeah, for sure. I think that's been, that's been a big energy boost and a confidence boost to the market. And I think equally a confidence boost to some of the regulators that of course, you know, as a new company, and regardless of how much support we have behind us and how much expertise we bring to the table and how well-connected we may be uh, you know, to some of the authorities, at the end of the day, what talks is what is concrete. And it's only concrete if you have an aircraft in, in our case.
0: Have you found that it's made sales easier? Again, the same type of question, right? In the sense that you could always say, we're getting a plane in September, whatever the date is, right? Or we'll have it then. But once it's actually here, and like you said, you can touch it, you can see it, you can do test flights that like if resort A sees that resort B is already doing it, they must think, wait a second, this is a super cool service. And we just have to partner with these guys and then handle the logistics around it to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. We have to have this. And then I'm curious, like, what actually has to get done? So if I have a resort that's on a beach, like the photo that's behind you, and I want to employ Mm -hmm. this service, what do I need to do? Like, I hadn't thought about this before. But like, what do I need to do so that I can make sure that on my side as a resort, I can actually handle this in a way that keeps the service feeling like it's super cool, even upon arrival, right?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a couple of questions, right? The first one is around, has it made sales easier? And I would say definitely yes, because we're a bit looking at a chicken and egg situation before that, right? Where we have validation that this business model works it works in other markets there's different models around it you know you have the more monopoly type transportation such as in the maldives where right. if you don't have a seaplane you practically don't have another good choice to bring people to your resort yeah but you also have models where it simply complements existing transportation so look at the us look at canada look at australia And of course, on top of that sightseeing flight. So while on the one hand, we've always been strong in showing that, you know, this does work, still not not having it physically here creates a certain level of hesitation from some partners, at least to say, you know what, once you have it, we will start engaging. And then we say, well, the thing is, we need to engage before we have it. So for us to be able to get it. Right. And it's not as quite as simple as that, but, you know, more or less that's a simplified version of it, which is a bit akin to meetings and generally doing business. So, what do I mean by that? In a lot of cases, I find if we do a Zoom call for a meeting, right. Theoretically speaking, it can be just as effective as an in person meeting.
0: Theoretically.
1: Right. Just factually looking at the content of an agenda, let's say, right? However, if you do the meeting in person, I can guarantee, you know, 99% of the time, it actually becomes more effective. And so there's something about this physical being there, being in the same room, being in the same locality, being able to touch, I mean, maybe not the business partner in a meeting, but, you know, to touch the thing in front of you that delivers just a completely different um, take or a completely different confidence level, I would say, right? so in that sense it helps us tremendously you know even if it's just a plane parked on the runway right. you know but just being able to point to that and say this is ours you know you can have a look at it and even if the partner isn't physically in front of it but knows that that is there nearby that already does something so with that if we're looking at okay, how do we actually enable a resort to be able to use that? Essentially, we our business model is primarily B two B two C, so we rely heavily on our partnerships, right? And we invested significantly throughout the last three years in getting partnerships with you know resort groups, with you know brands, with owners. Um, we typically go via the owner first. That's crucial because. While we are not building permanent infrastructure, and we're very proud of not having to do that, which also is a, is a point about environmentally environmental impact and sustainability, it is still a little bit akin to building a pier. And the yeah. water, as maybe you know, and perhaps some of the listeners will know, the water in Thailand is public. It's never private. So right. no one person can actually own the water. So if you want to build a pier, it's never yours, right? You're not building the pier on your land, but you're building a pier in front of your land. And so you need the actual land owner to say, I'm the one that says, you know, this pier should be there. And then getting the right approvals from the government. Now, with our seaplane services, essentially, it's somewhat similar in that we need the support from the owner of the land to say, yes, in front of my land, I want the seaplane to be able to land here. And so we need these sort of owner support letters and various things around that i can't give away quite everything but suffice to say that with that we go through quite thorough landing site assessments and we're looking at all elements we're looking at the water we're looking at the air we're looking at you know marine traffic at uh, obstacles nearby at uh, obviously under within i mean uh, in the ocean right so are there corals are there you know, a uh, certain type of protected species and, and so on and so on. Eh? It produces a, a, a substantial assessment with which we then go to the authorities. So for us to be able to do that, as you can imagine, it requires, again, quite a bit of effort, quite a bit of investment. So we need to ensure on the flip side that the partner we deal with is genuinely interested at the very least. And that means, ideally, they would commit. They would pre-commit and say, we understand our hotel, we understand how many guests we have and what kind of guests would be interested in the service. We can also help in doing joint surveys, for example, with their guests to understand better what the guests may be interested in, meaning would they want to come by seaplane or not, what would be their willingness to pay, and so on. And with that, ideally, they would say, look, we know that At the very least we could do you know two three five flights in a week to our resort right and that gives a certain level of pre-commitment and that gives us an assurance to say it's worth putting the effort in and by the way we fully pay for that effort on the landing sides on you know making all these assessments happen getting to the various authorities and getting ultimately the approvals It doesn't quite always work that way. So, of course, as I've mentioned earlier, given that we are new, there is hesitation. There is, you know, in some cases, a a more conservative outlook on on things. And then we try to find the right middle way. If it's an important partner to us, we try to find what can work such that it's still in their benefit, but also in our benefit. And that's a fine line that we need to walk and see. And as we get more concrete to then also get more committed, um, you know, establish these partnerships and then look as we go through that process a lot more also into the operational implementation. So things even like, you know, APIs for our booking system, right? So to make it really seamless and easy that somebody can book the service through the hotel rather than just through us. You know, ideally that while you're on the plane flying, that you can be assured that the hotel knows when you arrive and right. so that the, the room will be ready for check in and someone will be there to pick up the luggage and, you know, things like that. So it's, it's a very thorough, in-depth partnership at the end of the day, rather than just saying, you know, we've, we, we land somewhere on the water and, you know, here you go, people go to your resorts. We don't know where you go and what you do it should be seamless it should be premium right and for premium luxury it means to me it means a personalized and detailed service right the the, yeah. the level of detail needs to be there at at, at every single point of the st- of the journey
0: I, I want to share a couple of experiences because I did this twice. The Maldives, actually, I won't even go through because anybody who's been to the Maldives has done that. Really, the only way to get to your resort is through, like you said, this seaplane thing, I forget the, in the name of the, in the capital. But I was at another resort once, and I will say that the flight there was more, in some ways, more than just like an arrival mechanism. To us, it was really part of the whole experience of going there and coming back. And the excitement around it was palpable. Everybody that was on the plane loved it. But more importantly, the people that were at the resort waited for the plane to come. It's hard to explain, right? It's like, it's like just another event there. And if you're at a resort that can facilitate the taking of a seaplane to land there, right? Obviously, you're surrounded by water. But at a, if you know what time it's coming, people literally went to the pier, and there was a pier in both places, well, in one place, to greet the other guests. And the, the in, in this way, it's way more than just a flight somewhere. It's like part of the whole resort experience. And once you do it, you just think, this is the best way to to get there. Because your arrival is almost like filled with fanfare for the other guests. They're like, you're here. And we know how you got here because we did the same thing on the way here as well. And it's this weird sense of community and camaraderie that you get. And once you do it, you just kind of want to do it all the time. And I'm wondering, do you ever take like the resort owner or the GM and just go, look here, we're going to do an arrival for you so you know what it feels like? (laughs) In a way, it's like an unfair advantage. You know what I mean?
1: I fully agree on the excitement and Sort of experience that you describe, I think it's it's not. And, and you know, typically, I say when I talk to 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 some of the partners, I say, you know, first of all, we're not an airline, no, right. Second of all, we're not about transportation. Like, yes, we do offer A to B transport, but in reality, what it is is it's an experience. Yeah, it's something. It's it's a memory maker, right? It's <laughs> something that people. Will talk about mo- in many cases for the rest of their lives because it's so unique, and even to the most VIPs amongst us, you know, even to a regular private jet user, being in a premium seaplane is still something that's extremely unique and rare. Yeah, and so that just creates this, yeah, really the sense of exclusivity and being special in so many ways, yet being again, being quite accessible in terms of price. And I mean, this is where our tagline comes from, right? Where we say once in a lifetime, every time. Yeah. And so it's, it's really this very unique, spe- special thing, but you can actually do it again and again. As for your question on whether we kind of just show that to some of the GMs or owners, not yet. It will come in the form of simply once we start, you know, flying and landing on the water, as you said, people see it. And just by seeing it, it will create a high degree of FOMO, yeah. right? And 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 this is, I know this, and this is what we've been looking at in this build-up phase now to say, you know, look, if you're partnering with us now as a launch partner, you get a fair bit, you know, more benefits, but you also need to commit a little bit more because once we launch, yeah. it will look very, very different, right. right? And already now we have a long list of interested parties where we actually need to say, look, we'd love to work with you, but we have a long list and we cannot service everybody in every location from day one. And so it will be a simple matter of prioritization on whoever now commits more will be the lucky one to have this early. And yeah, it's a little bit of a, of a competition, right? I think between some of the hotels to see, you know, who who is willing to to put in a bit more effort to be able to get that um, and I think yeah that will intensify the more that people see it and with that the reality also is we will not be landing you know at every 100 meters uh, away from each other right there will be dedicated landing spots and once we have one on let's say the east side of an island we will not be adding three more on that side of the island right if you see what I mean right so it's not necessarily about exclusivity, but it's it's picking the right partners that work in the best way. And then from there, you know, that's also usually open that even guests can still go to other resorts and stay at other places. But um, there's a certain, level of, a certain level of exclusivity to it.
0: Yeah, in a way, like there are a lot of equivalencies between the business that you're building and the businesses that I'm building, right? And the big question I have for myself is often like, how do I scale a business that does have a software component to it, right? But also has a hardware component to it. And in some cases, that hardware is me. But in other cases, it's cameras, microphones, and other things like that that have to move from place to place. But also, it's an experience business, right? So again, and notice in nowhere here did I say it's a travel business or a logistics business, which we could also spend hours talking about. But how do you how do you think about scaling, right? Because you'll need another plane, or maybe many other planes, but then pilots and all this kind of integration, software and stuff like that, how do you look at scale?
1: Yeah, very important question. We, from day one, said we want to build a scalable business, yep. right? So my background also is a lot more in the tech and startup space, right? I don't come from aviation, for example. So right. to me, it's a lot more natural language in a way to say, as we build this business from you know from day one they say okay how do we how do we look at scalability how can possibly make this interesting to a vc right and a vc is looking at that you know at that you know very large multiple potential right it's looking at you know not just growing this from you know 1 million dollars to 10 million dollars right but growing it from 1 million dollars to possibly you know dollars, a billion whatever. dollars right yeah. and so that's right so how can we have this is traditionally viewed as an asset heavy business traditional business into something that could be viewed to an extent and not just being viewed but actually can work as a scalable venture so what do we do in this regard is is a couple of things first of all it's the ultimate foundation of how we build the business so meaning there are certain components in the business that need to be in a way modular and standardized so we can easily replicate it. So things like, let's say, all of the operation manuals and basically all the policies and procedures that we need for an air operator license needs to be in place so that we could easily replicate this in another market. So that means we need to build it from scratch. Right. Rather than just going into an existing with an existing partner somewhere or buying this off the shelf from a consultant somewhere, which also, of course, makes it much more expensive. So we need to build it from the ground up and we need to build it in a way that we know we can easily adjust this to another market. And this is helpful for us now, because, as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at a couple other markets at the moment. Right. And now we have this asset where we can say almost like so sometimes I say we want to be the or I wanna be the the rocket internet of seaplanes, which maybe is an outdated comparison by now, but it would certainly hold true maybe like 10 years ago of being able to have this sort of one centralized business case and centralized technology to a certain extent, and then we just go plug and play one market to another. So that's component number one, and that doesn't only apply to the operations, but it applies to our technology, it applies to our sales and marketing procedures and processes, how do we onboard partners, kind of all the standardized process from day one, meaning we build for scale, right? right? We don't build for SME, we build for scale. Yep. Um, and of course, again, that meant in the early days that things take longer, that things are possibly a little bit more complicated, that we need systems in place. You know, instead of just starting with an Excel sheet, right. uh, you know, we say, actually, no, let's put in the right system so that when we have a thousand partners, that will still work. Right. Even though right now for three partners is complete overkill but it's that view for, you know, a year, five years, 10 years later to come. The second element that's really important for the scalability, and I've hinted at that, is the assets, right? Because we have aircraft. So how do we do that? Very importantly, the assets are ours. We own them, right? We own the aircraft. But we don't outright purchase the aircraft, simply because that would mean whenever we want to add a new plane, We would essentially have to go through another funding round right right each plane costs around three four million us okay uh instead we do financial lease so we still the plane is still in our books we still own the assets but the capital requirement to get there is significantly lower yep and at the same time as we employ b2p a b2b to c model and primarily b2b first there is a level of revenue securitization and that allows us basically pay the monthly lease amount securing that we can justify having this and further aircraft added so long story short and then after a few years they're fully ours right so long story short that means we require significantly lower capital to be able to scale and because it's a luxury lifestyle business there is a margin through which we can actually reinvest in the growth of the company meaning add more aircraft to the fleet. And so right. that's a model essentially that allows us you know, to scale. And when we're looking at the ambition, then for Thailand alone, you know, to talk about, for instance, 15 aircraft in, over the course of five years is something that's easily achievable. Yeah, it feels like um, that. And that's not talking about the big potential. The big potential is much larger than that. Right? I think easily for Thailand we could be rivaling the Maldives in terms of number of aircraft. And just to make that concrete, in the Maldives at the moment there's about 70, so 70 seaplanes in the country, right? And that's and that's Thailand has a bigger geography. Thailand has a bigger potential than the Maldives. It's different. The market right is not just the monopoly luxury resorts, um, but there's a lot more. And then we're looking at other countries in the region, you know, and there is so much more potential. So in theory, you know, we'd be talking potentially more than 100 aircraft, right? And then we're talking a business that would be all of a sudden much more interesting to a VC, right? And so that's, again, to bring this full circle, that's a little bit the way we've been looking at this to say there is... You know, all these elements that help us to scale. And because it's all connected in, in sort of in the back end and with good technology and um the right, you know, processes and structures, it makes it actually something for the first time, I think, in this industry, because usually CPID services have been I usually say kind of small mom and pop shops, yeah. right? Like yeah. kind of like maybe a, a a passionate pilot thinks, hey, you know, I want to commercialize this and offer this to some people. Um, of course, there's notable diff- notable uh, ex- exceptions to that, right? Obviously Maldives, there's a couple of players in the US and Canada that are, you know, very large as well, but they're the outliers in this industry still. And so that's what we saw as this massive opportunity for Asia to say, let us be the one in Asia to build this um, and make this into into something that is is scalable and I, I think it worked i mean we have one VC as an investor just to give you a sense of this so um, and getting very interesting um, how do i say demand let's say for for some of the other markets that we're currently looking at and i think that's a bit testament to this model that it's certainly a bit strange right it's not a typical tech startup it's not a it's not an airline it's not you know Uh, a hospitality business as such, but it sits somewhere in the middle between all of these and tries to kind of take the best of each and make that into something that's a bit new. But that's the exciting part for me about it.
0: You're right. It's not an airline business, right? It's not a hospitality business. It's not a transport business. To me, it feels like a platform business. (laughs) And you're right that the opportunity isn't just to have 100 planes, which I definitely think is a very realistic possibility, particularly as, and let's go back to this, because you said this at the beginning, COVID changed the way people want to travel, right? And the more opportunity they have to be in smaller groups, groups are still good, right? People want to be around other people, but the more opportunity they have to be in smaller groups and in a controlled environment, also for a very high level experience, I want to get back to this because... There's a follow-on to this. The likelihood that there are going to be 100 planes doing this in a country as big as Thailand alone is definitely possible in my mind, right? Particularly if, like you said, there are 70 in the Maldives. In a much smaller footprint, right? And in a very controlled area and environment, Thailand is much more spread out with many more resorts. But here's the thing. When you build an experience company, right, and a platform company, you can plug in a bunch of different experiences to that platform. And if, mm-hmm. if I feel like I get off a plane where the, or get off a platform where the experience is so good, if that platform offers me another potential experience that's related, I'll do that too, right? Because I'll trust the fact, in other words, I could go do it with somebody else, but like I just got off of this Siam seaplane thing and it was awesome. So what else can I trust them to do for me? Are you thinking about adding other services in? And maybe it's a little bit early, but you know what I mean? You're already a platform company that offers services like on the water, essentially. Are there other services you're thinking about adding into this as well?
1: We already have. And this is the opportunity that we saw again over the last, you know, one, yeah, one year, I would say. Not something that we proactively planned for initially but as the business developed more and more and it became obvious just how much of a as you say of a lifestyle platform this actually is and becomes the more there were opportunities around that and of course we need to be careful not to jump on anything and everything that's the death of any startup but to analyze and and assess you know which of these opportunities could be relevant and so what we did two things one we also partner with experienced providers very selectively to say we can't do everything on our own but we can facilitate that right and these are things like yacht charters do we want to buy our own yacht and offer that well at least not not now right Right. let's give it maybe five years and see where we go (laughs) but at the moment there's amazing yacht charters out there and why don't we just partner with them you know we can just like any platform, essentially, we just do it on a commission basis. You know, we 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 kind of, you know, built that in into sort of the core service offering. And you know, even now ahead of flights over the last couple of years, we get inquiries and bookings, right? Whether that's for the yacht charter or skydiving, right? Which you can do in in Kauai and Rayong, and it's beautiful experiences, right? It's it's and it fits right into the heart of what we're here for, which is kind of to bring premium exciting experiences that connect the air and the water right, right? <laughs> i think that's sort of the way we're looking at it and so that's where the yacht tires fit in that's where the skydiving fits in and there's a few others the second thing we've been doing and we launched that actually just about a year ago just under a year ago is another brand uh, that is called jetboard thailand and jetboard thailand is part of our let's say corporate family but of course a different brand but with that, we are the exclusive distributor of high-end electric surfboards and electric boats. Now, how does this fit in? Well, we work with a lot of the waterfront resorts. And as we do a lot of the site visits and talk about the, the customer journey, a bit at what you're hinted at, you know, the guest arrives, let's say in the future with the seaplane on the water, you know, steps out, now stays in the hotel for maybe a week, two weeks and wants to do things. And so usually the conversation with the hotel partners came to, so once the guests are here, what do they do? Right. And of course, the hotel, many of the hotels have amazing, uh, an amazing array of activities that they can offer. But we came to this opportunity where we were offered to be exclusive distributor for these, for these products. Um, like I said, premium electric surfboards, which is also new in Thailand, yet, a very very cool experience and it fit right into that philosophy of what we do yeah. it's premium it's new it's innovative it's on the water it's very easy for 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 people even without any experience to do that and so we we tested that first we had a you know a trial period of a few months where we brought some of these boards in and said you know does it work in thailand how does it work you know what do we kind of need for it which could be interesting partners and now we have some of these jet boards in a number of amazing resorts across Thailand. You know, you can you can have them already now at Amanpuri in Phuket. You can have them at, uh, on Koh Phangan. You can have them at the Z9 uh, resort on Sinakarin Dam in Kanchanaburi. And you can have them on a luxury yacht in Kochang, Chang, right? And so, and more and more to come. And right. that is a perfect like lifestyle component that we fit into the wider business ultimately and i think there will be more to come we will be very careful with that but it's definitely this end-to-end lifestyle offering with the core being the seaplane or the amphibious seaplane and, and everything that fits sort of in the immediate um immediate vicinity if you will of, of that service yeah got it
0: look i think that is the best way to end this dennis keller the chief business officer at siam seaplane I think we got the audio. That was awesome. Thank you so
1: much. Fantastic. Michael, thanks very much. It was a pleasure.